and welcome to the Nature Jobs podcast. I'm Julie Gould. To complement this month's Wind Back Wednesday series from academia to industry, I have the pleasure of having a chat with Nessa Carey, the Senior Director at Pfizer. Now, Nessa spoke at the London 2013 Nature Jobs Career Expo about her transition from academia into industry. And hopefully she can elaborate on her story with us today. So welcome, Nessa. It's great to be here. Let's start with your time in academia. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I did the very traditional academic route. I did a PhD and then a postdoc. Then I was very lucky and got a lectureship straight away. And finally, I was a senior lecturer. So I was a senior lecturer at Imperial College up until 2001. And I was working on a very interesting neuromuscular disease, which is caused by a really peculiar genetic mutation. So I was lucky. I was in an interesting scientific field. And actually, in many ways, my career was going very well. I was bringing in grant income. I was publishing in good journals, supervising students, teaching. It was all going very well. But um, I decided at some point I wanted to make the change to industry. You found it fascinating, and yet you didn't stay in academia. So what, what was it about academia that didn't sit right with you? Well, it's weird because actually... In kind of academic nerd terms, which is very much what I was, I was living the dream. You know, I had the money coming in. I was publishing in good journals, etc. But I just started to become increasingly frustrated with what I was doing. And looking back, I think one of the really big issues for me was the fact that I couldn't see how this was going to lead to improvements for patients. And that's something that had always really motivated me in terms of getting involved in science was thinking I wanted to make a difference to patient health. And so the work that I was doing was very interesting, I think, I hope, to other people interested in the same thing, but was probably never likely to have much impact. So there was the scientific reason of wanting to make more impact on human health. But I think also there was a broader reason relating to my situation, which was that after a while, I think I realised that I was a good scientist, but not a great one. And that's okay because actually most people are good scientists rather than great ones. I've met some truly great scientists and they're amazing, but there's not very many of them. Um, And I'm a good problem solver and I'm very good technically, but I don't have that kind of imagination that allows me to see the really big questions and spend the next 10 years fighting to answer those. And thinking, do I really want to spend the rest of my career doing something that I'm pretty okay at, but that possibly isn't using all of my strengths and all the things that I'm good at. You know, do I want to spend the rest of my career being middling, basically? Um, And I decided that I didn't and that there were probably other ways in which I could make more impact and where I'd be better at the job, even though I was doing fine. And was was that a difficult decision to make? It was, actually. It was hugely difficult. And again, sometimes it's only looking back you understand what the issue was. And I realized now that the reason it was emotionally a very difficult decision to make was because it was almost like I was worried that people would feel I'd given up because particularly back then, I left academia in 2001, it was so traditional that you did a PhD and a postdoc and then you hoped and hoped and hoped you'd get an academic position and you'd get onto that particular career path. And so it almost seemed like I had everything I was supposed to have wanted why would I want to give that up? And there was almost a perception that I was worried that people would feel I'd given up, that I'd failed. Um, Because we're almost kind of convinced that that's the only respectable route. And so in some ways, the biggest change I had to make was a mental change of thinking, no, it's not giving up and it's not being a failure. It's doing something else with the rest of my career. But it was quite a difficult thing to do emotionally. 
And did, did you have a, a lot of support from your colleagues or, or was there that feeling of, oh, should she really be doing this? I think there was, to a large extent, that feeling of should she really be doing this? And actually, I didn't tell very many colleagues that I was planning this particular transition, just really only one colleague who I was close, quite close to and who actually made the same transition themselves. Because it's almost like you're letting the side down, that idea that you might not want to carry on in this particular career path. Well, hopefully, hopefully that <laughs> won't happen to too many people. OK, so you've now taken this leap. You're now working at Pfizer. You've moved your way up into Pfizer and you're doing really well. So why is this position in industry more suited to you? Well, it's a range of factors, I think. I mean, Pfizer is now the fourth job I've had since I moved to industry. So in 12 years, I've had four different jobs. Um, I worked in the biotech sector for 10 years and then moved to the big pharma sector. And I think it's because there's a different kind of culture and a different sort of timescale to which you work. So one of the things that I like about industry, and it's true of all the companies that I've joined, is that there's a real sense of shared purpose and there's a real sense of teamwork and there's this perception of, OK, we all know what we have to do in the sense of we know what our overall aim is, which is always something to do with getting drugs into patients. So we all know what we're going to do and we're all working together for that. And I actually find it a more collegiate atmosphere. I like that feeling of shared purpose. So that's one of the things I really enjoy about industry. And also my job is very variable. So I spend a lot of time going out talking to really great scientists. So I still remain very connected with science, which I love because I am essentially a geek. So I love that although I'm in industry, I still am exposed to and take part in really fantastic science. So it, it's perfect from my point of view. You get to keep your fingers in both pies as Absolutely, such. yeah. And also I now have an honorary appointment at Imperial, which is great. So I go back, I teach, which I really love. So it really does feel like I've got the best of every possible world doing this. Can't get much better than that. Not really. So how did you prepare to make that leap? What, what sort of preparations after you'd made that mental decision of, right, OK, this is what I'm going to do? How, how did you then go about actually doing it? The first thing that I realised I needed to do was to take a much more objective view of my strengths and also my weaknesses. And I think that's something we're not terribly well trained to do. We're not trained to step back and think, what is it that I do well? What is it that I'm not so good at? What is it that I really enjoy? And so that's probably the area where I put the most effort was thinking, actually, I have skills that I probably don't even recognise. I think that's true of everybody. We just get on with things. And thinking, OK, what are those and how do I convey those and how do I demonstrate that I've got those skills? And actually, once you do that, it makes life much easier. It's just we're not really trained to do it and it's almost slightly show-offy. Did you have to develop those skills whilst you were still working in academia? So you had all your hands full, supervising students, teaching, doing your research, and then at the same time you had to go about looking and trying to develop all these skills. That must have been quite a balancing act. Well, not really, because if you're quite an enthusiastic person, um, then you find that academia makes an awful lot of demands on you. And actually, that's one of the great things about academia, is I really believe if you can survive in academia, you can survive almost anywhere, because there are so many demands. So what you do is you find that you're actually very good at doing things like juggling your time, at managing people, at leading teams, at communicating at persuading people and all of those skills are very highly valued in industry you just have to learn to step back and think actually do I have those and 
generally you'll find that if you've been an enthusiastic, hardworking person, you probably have developed quite a lot of those skills. You just haven't recognised them. So it wasn't a case of having to do extra things to prepare myself for industry. It was a case that I was doing those extra things anyway, just because that's what you do. And it was just a case of having to recognise those and work out how I could explain those and make them relevant in an industry setting because the skills are transferable. It's just the experience that's different. The employers in industry, are these the sort of skills that they're looking for? So for the young students that are thinking, right, okay, I've done my PhD, I've done my postdoc, not quite right for me. I want to go into industry. Are these skills that you talked about the ones that these employers are looking for? Oh, absolutely. Um, You have to have a good science base. That bit is essential, but it's not sufficient in itself. You have to understand the science and be good at the science, but you have to bear in mind there are an awful lot of people who understand and are good at science and can run things technically. What you have to have if you're going into industry is those other skills. You have to be able to work with other people. You have to be able to communicate. You have to have those sorts of communication skills, what we always call the soft skills, which are actually phenomenally important. Because when you're hired by industry, by any company, large or small, They're making an investment in you and they're very aware that they're making an investment. They're very aware that it's really expensive to hire new people. It has enormous impact if you hire the wrong people. So they're always looking for those who have those extra skills and who can develop within the role. So those skills are phenomenally important and that's why you need to get out of the lab sometimes. But there's so much pressure on the young students at the moment that, you know, they're in the labs, they've got to publish their papers, they've got to do their research. How are they going to find time to develop all these things? It's really tough. I appreciate that. And it was always really tough. But I think you find that people do this anyway. They just don't necessarily recognise it. So maybe they're running a society. Maybe they've helped supervise a more junior student in the lab. You find most PhD students and postdocs end up looking after younger uh, members of the lab team. One of the things that I found when I was doing my postdoc was I got asked to teach and I said yes just because it sounded like fun. And you don't realise that every time you do that, every time you say yes to something, then that's noticed and you're developing as an individual. I mean, that's why I got my lectureship was it was kind of right place, right time. But also I was the person who had been noticed because I'd always done the extra teaching. I'd always agreed to tutor. It was noticed that I'd been looking after more junior students, that kind of thing. So it's all those things that actually people offer you opportunities. And yes, it's hard to take them, but you don't necessarily have to go off on a placement or anything like that. You can develop an awful lot of skills just by being enthusiastic and accepting opportunities when they come along. So on top of this, what sort of tips would you give to those who are sitting on the fence of academia industry, not quite sure whether or not to take that leap. What advice would you give those students? First thing is always to go out and talk to other people. Find people in both sectors. Find, say, young lecturers who are happy in their roles and find out what it is that they enjoy about those roles. But also try and meet some people from industry. You can always meet people from industry at conferences, for example, scientific conferences, because there's always a good representation from industry. Just learn to be slightly more confident about going out and talking to people and asking for advice because if the only advice you ask for is within academia then you're only getting advice from one source that will be very relevant to academia but won't necessarily ever have had much contact with the industrial world that's kind of changing a little bit because so many more academics work collaboratively with industry now but you know just go out and get that spread of opinion 
I get emails and phone calls from people all the time saying, I'm a PhD student and I'm going to be around and could I meet you just because I'd like to learn more. And I always say yes. And pretty much everybody working in industry will always agree to meet younger scientists, mainly because like everybody else, we just like talking about ourselves. Yeah, so somebody says, could you talk about yourself? Yeah, we're always going to say yes. Great. Well, Nessa, thank you very much for coming in and speaking to me. My pleasure. And that's it for this month's podcast, but I'll be back next month with the next Windback Wednesday series. But in the meantime, you can find out more on our blog at blogs.nature.com forward slash naturejobs. Or you can follow us on Twitter at naturejobs or even on Facebook. <laughs>